Welcome to Wisdom Personified, Conversations with Dudum Somi, a passionate and relentless pursuit of exploring how individuals use good judgment in everyday life, both in their personal and professional lives. There's a quote that says, communication works for those who work at it. This quote is so apt as I introduce my guest for this new episode of Wisdom Personified, Conversations with Dudum Somi. Ashraf Garda has been part of South African media world and part of our lives for decades, spanning TV, radio, and now various social media platforms. Welcome, Ashraf. Thank you for making the time. Well, it's a pleasure. You know, when Dudu asks, I say yes. So here I am. You know, I'm always interested to know about people's childhoods. Uh, Can you tell me a little bit about your upbringing? What are your most treasured memories of your childhood? So I'm born in a a community um, that's got three names. Uh, The the English name is Pageview. The the Afrikaans name is Friededorf or Friededorf, right? Um, But colloquially, whoever lived there always called it Fitas, right? And for want of a better word, Fitas in the community where I live, which is very close, by the way, to the SABC, is very similar to Sapphire Town and District 6. Okay. So far as they all have one thing in common, a hodgepodge of different people, all black people, and then over a period of time, uh, they all got removed and then and finally complete demolition. Um, and that's the community that I that I come from. I'm, uh, I'm the youngest of uh, four children. My, my parents are both... Uh, deceased and and even now obviously i reflect on their wisdom all the time I, my parents in particular um about being there for us throughout our lives and your siblings are they around johannesburg as well or are they all over i've got a, a brother and a sister who lives in johannesburg uh, and i have a sister who lives in canada and she's been there for over I think 25 years or 30 years long. Wow. She knows more about South Africa than South Africans because all the feeds every day on our WhatsApp groups um, <laughs> and, and, and online things, I mean, she, she would say. Yeah. She keeps so in touch. That's great. What vision did you have for your life? Uh, has what you envisioned come to pass? It's an interesting question, and I don't know because, you know, when, when we were youngsters and we were lighties, and I like using the word lighties, it's mm-hmm. very colloquial for us, right? Yeah. When we were lighties, I mean, nobody came to us and said, you know what, this is what you can do because as we well aware of, lots of opportunities were just closed. So you don't even dream those opportunities, right? But so years in, I didn't pronounce on the vision, but, but it probably came by chance here in the sense that when we used to play board games, right? Um, mainly sports board games, like there were cricket board games and, and soccer, and you played with a dice, right? Uh, most people did that. For some reason, I don't know why, I didn't just play the game, I, I gave commentary on those games. <laughs> and, 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 and that must then talk to a subconscious vision about needing to communicate the game more than actually play the game. And perhaps true to form, uh, I'm a pretty lousy sportsman, um, but, I, but I have a great affinity for, for most sports, and, and a lot of my time then um, in my life has been communicating. So yes, did I pronounce on it in terms of that's my vision? No, but, but to a large degree, am I in the space that I, that I ought to be and should be? I, I would think yes. Perfect. So do you think you have a purpose in life? And um, what is your purpose, do you think? 
that's an interesting question because I th- first of all, I think not enough people answer that question. Not enough people spend time answering. They they know what day is tomorrow. If you ask them, they know when is you know what date would be Christmas this year or Eid or whatever. But like, what is your purpose? They don't know because they don't spend time doing that. Now, I think that may have changed for all of us. For me, I I think my purpose, and I'm very clear about it now, is champion people. So. You may well talk about champion South Africa just now, but champion people is the purpose, and therefore champion South Africa is the vehicle to achieving that purpose. And what I mean by by champion people being the purpose is like, that's what I want to do. So even as I talk to you and I talk to someone watching you and I talking, like, so how can I champion you? How can I, how can I champion people? How can I get someone watching me and you and inspire them to up their game, to live a life of their very own purpose so they can then inspire their family, their community, their generation, their country. So for me, that's the purpose that I'm most comfortable with. There are obviously many other subcategories within that whole purpose, but yeah, for me, it's I champion people. Mm. Interesting. So if I say, do you have a unique value proposition and what makes you memorable? What would you say? Well, you know, at, at the moment, it's funny, since the launch of the whole Champions for that project, the amount of people who then address me as, hello, champion, something I'm not comfortable with, because I'm like, I'm not a champion, I'm just amplifying others, okay? But I'm just putting it out there. But, but the reality for me, I think, yeah, you, you'd probably say, you know, it's two things. One is being a, a communicator as a, as a unique value proposition, uh, an effective communicator, I'd like to think. But the other is is one who is a good moderator of, not even moderating as in events, I mean, I do that, yeah, but I think a moderator of issues, that means I, I still trouble waters, I know that. So I'm, I'm, I think I'm pretty adept when people have disparate views and they come together and they argue with each other. I, yeah, I still, I still trouble waters and, and maybe the third one linked to all of that in terms of my value proposition is um, I like to think I inspire. So so in the past, you'd say inspire. For me, it's like, well, the inspiration means I champion people. And I think that, that is a combination is is what makes me, you know, what I am. Yeah, yeah. Um, you mentioned already Champion South Africa. So you are the founder. What does Champion South Africa do? And if you can just give me maybe just three characteristics of a champion nation. Yeah, so, so Champions South Africa started, you know, a few years ago um, in a conversation I had with my, well, between myself and my son, and we had some ideas about certain projects, okay? And it's changed somewhat to a degree, um, uh, as one would expect, one would pivot, to the point where it exists with one very clear goal. And I think that's the advice to most people. When you start something, don't have 50 goals, one goal. The one goal is to build South Africa into a champion nation. That's why we exist. How we get there and who's going to take us there is not really just for me. It's for me, it's for you, it's for the government, it's the political parties, it's business people, it's communities, it's every one of us, right? And, and, and I'll tell you about what we do in a moment, but, but for me, the, I mean, the characteristics of a champion nation, first of all, it must be a champion nation that absolutely serves its people. It must be a, a nation where, where people know that, they, that the leadership are, are servants, they absolutely are, 
political parties, opposition parties, business, they're all there to serve its people, right? So you know that we, the people, well, let's play on that one, right? Yeah. But in practical terms, it will mean a nation where education is top-notch, where health services are top-notch, where the disparity between rich and poor is, is non-existent, or as narrow as can be, right? Where everybody feels they are invested in their country, and they're invested interest in being in that country, and they see themselves as assets in that country, and they themselves, at some stage, believe that they are amongst the champion people who will then, you know, deliver this champion nation. And, and lastly, on that point, what's important is, you know, so I'm going to have this dream that, that one day the United Nations Secretary General will, will stand up and hold a lot of trophy and say, you know, this trophy goes to the winning nation for the year. And, there's, and the winning nation for the year is South Africa. I mean, that's the, that's the vision, right? And we know that that sort of competition doesn't exist, okay? But before someone comes back to say, oh, you see, this is extreme nationalism. No, I, I think what's important is a champion nation is not an either or. You can only truly be a champion nation if you also lift other nations, right? You can only be one of the champion people if you raise other people to the level of becoming champions. So this notion of, you know, we're the superpower to hack with the rest doesn't work anymore, as we've seen in so many countries where, where there's geopolitics and people are battling in the in the affairs of other nations. So no, at some stage, the, the utopian dream of a champion nation would be they would lift every other nation uh, to a high degree of collaboration and co-creation on a national, on an international, on a, on a global scale as well. Yeah, I hope that comes true. I was trying to envision us in that future. Our introduction happened when you interviewed me for In the Stop, in the Spotlight, uh, which was part of the afternoon talk show you had on SABC. I think it was around 2013. You spoke to hundreds of people during that series. What are the two wisdoms that you can crystallize that make individuals stand out from a crowd? And how did those conversations influence your life journey, if at all? I think of, of all the people, that, and yes, I think largely we spoke to highly successful people. Uh, and, and that's why they, they sort of got the hot seat of being featured in the spotlight, right? Um, I think it is one, I mean, so the obvious one, they, they were successful, or they were perceived to be successful, right? That's the one. But in terms of their characteristics, once I chatted with them, every one of them had this, had this insane desire of continuous learning. Every one of them. They just didn't stop, right? They all had confidence in themselves, but the vast majority had a sense of humility. You're asking for two, I'm giving you more, but when these are things that come through, right? And, and every just about well, every, the majority, had this, again, this, this innate desire to want to serve, to want to change society. And, and maybe that is the forerunner of, of, you know, building champion South Africa and trying to invest in champion people. So I mean, those are the things that I, I learned in, in the many conversations, right, that I had with, 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 with hundreds of people. I mean, there, there is one person that I, uh, that I want to just bring out because, um, uh, not because that was the most important interview or not, not at all, right? Uh, because don't ask me that, because I think that's almost unfair. But I interviewed one person, or I offered to interview the one person to say, come on, let's put you in the spotlight. And he said, no. And then again, he's like, no. And then no. But of course, I still interviewed him for other things, right? And then finally, like after three years, he said, Ashraf, I'm ready to be interviewed in the spotlight. And I got him on air. 
And then on air, he gave his reasons for delaying me. That means he was being interviewed on, with me on other issues, but not as a profile. And he said, Ashraf, I felt I wasn't ready. I, I've seen the people that you've interviewed, and I've seen the level of, of their excellence, and I never felt deserved of that title. Today, I think I've done enough in the organization that I serve to say, okay, I'm worthy of being put in the spotlight. And that tells you at two levels, the humility of this leader, but it also tells you about, about the standards that we set up that we, we wanted the very highest. And of course, you're going to ask that, so who was this person, right? No, so that wasn't that great. <laughs> well, I should tell you anyway, because if I don't, I can, I can just imagine everybody watching like, who, who was that? <laughs> Salo, Salo Hatam, the CEO yeah. of the Nelson Mandela Foundation. Okay. And Salo delayed me for three years with all the humility in the world. Yeah. yeah. It's actually interesting because even with this platform, people uh, sometimes ask to be on this, um, oh, wisdom personified. And it's always interesting because I think sometimes we think when we interview people, uh, it's because they're famous or... Uh, they're well-known or successful in the material sense. And I think it's also part of the conversation I'm having in terms of intelligence and wisdom is not actually the same thing. And I'm trying to get people to appreciate the wisdom that's around them. Um, and and I'm, I remember having that conversation with you in 2013 and, and you stuck with me because of just how you carried yourself as a communicator and how you facilitated and moderated that conversation. Uh, so there are many ways in which people stand out. Um, so you stuck out for me, even though you're always in the media, but that was the one experience that I had which really made you stand out. What's the most courageous uh, decision you've taken in your life so far, and what drove you to that decision? I, I, think, I think it's two things. Um, you know, one, one would be personal and, and one would be professionally. Uh, personally, it, it, had to be, uh, it had to be cold calling my wife, she wasn't a wife at times, she wasn't even someone where I ever spoke to in my life before, <laughs> right? <laughs> but cold calling her and like, I saw you yesterday at this wedding, but that's where we met up and uh, this is who I am. And that was obviously, that was courageous and that changed our life, right? So that's Jamila, of course, right? On, on a professional level, I think it, it, it had to be linked to my, my broadcasting space. And, and for me, it was a case of um, making a call. So I was the chairperson of a football, of a junior football club, okay? And, and they were having a local football tournament, right? And, and a local community radio station had just opened up at that time. You know, I'm talking about the 90s when suddenly this thing came up. And I called them, not for myself, I called them and I said, you know, kids never get a chance to be heard in mainstream media. In that case, it's all like white media, and you know that, right? So I'm like, why don't you, since you've got this community radio station just opened up, why don't you cover the local football tournament from under sixes up to under 18? And those kids will get their names heard. The parents will love it. They'll fuss about it. And then you've got a new audience. And what you do with this new audience is up to you for the next day. But that's my proposal to you. So, so my pitch was, in fact, uh, on behalf of the, of, the, of the football organization, right, what happened in practice was that call turned into, can you assist us with the guests, which I then said, okay, I'll, I'll put the guests together for you guys. And the day before they were going to go on the air on the cup final, the management of the radio station said, no, we've got a problem. Nobody 
from our group here can actually talk football. We know nothing about that sort of thing. Can you interview them yourself? And that was never part of the brief. And the reality is I've never stopped speaking to people on air on different platforms ever since. So there you are, two important issues, and it just shows you how we, what seems trivial at that time and inconsequential, in fact, yeah. uh, is, is enormously consequential. So perhaps we all need to be aware of, of just how consequential we can be in our, in our seemingly trivial decisions. So those are life-changing, of course. Yeah, that's quite inspirational. When you're trying to do something good for other people and it comes back to you. Um, what is your Achilles heel? How do you prevent it from impacting other aspects of your life that make you successful? I think I'm prone to, to well, two things, to distraction uh, and, and therefore not completing of tasks in, in a given day, which, which is a problem I'm still battling with, quite honestly. Um, so that's one. Um, and the other is, I think, uh, I think overthinking things where you, where you sort of want to, where the plan is affection and in your pursuits of that, and the strategy, then you you don't build you don't build a building, and that that is a problem. And I've made more aware of it in recent times. To say, come on, man, just do something, even if it's imperfect. So, for example, some of the things around Champions South Africa, we want to we want to do. There's been a lot of overthinking in the last year, and it's 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 not the champion way to do it. I need to change. That. Yeah. yeah, well, at least you're aware of it. That's the beginning. Yeah. Um, how do you believe the fact that you are a practicing Muslim? impacts how people receive you and the impact you are able to make using the platforms that you do use? So, I mean, I, I'm a Muslim. I, I live in a country where, where Muslims are, what, 3% of the population. But I, I live in a world where, where Muslims are 1 in 5 of the population. And I live in a continent where Muslims are 60% of the population. It's, it's an amazing thing for South Africans. We don't realize just how many, how many Muslims are there uh, most countries just slightly north of, 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 uh, of the SADAC region, right? That You see that. In practical terms, I think I, I've been very privileged to, to spend a lot of my working career in a, in a non-Muslim space. And I say privileged because what it's done, it's, it's, it gives me an opportunity to, not intentionally, but, but just to show up who I am and, and what I am, right? And gets people to understand you know what what we're what we're all about, right? Uh, without without necessarily propagating, just doing that. So that's what's happened. There, I I think I've had in the vast majority of cases, I've, I've had nothing but extreme respect uh, for for my faith and for the practicing of faith. I don't think I'm the best Muslim around, but I certainly am a practicing Muslim. Um, and that's come from, you know, friends and colleagues and what have you. But, but I will say this because, I mean, the purpose of this is to, is to share some wisdom. And, um, and, and you need to know this, that in my last, in my last year at SAFM, what happened? So you may be aware when SAFM had this major reshuffle and I was doing this afternoon talk show at the time. And at that time, the, I was on air from 2 to, two to 4. And they, and they shuffled... 80% of the, of the shows, and one of only four or five shows that they kept intact, remember Sakina Kamenda was not there in the morning either, right? was was supposed to be my show, the afternoon show. Like, okay, Ashok, we, we're happy you staying where you are. Uh, just one thing, we're just shifting the time slightly, and uh, instead of starting from two to four, can you start from one to three? 
or one to four, somewhere along that line. I think I think one to three. Okay. So in principle, that was fine. I said I have no problem with that, excepting I go to mosque on a Friday. Friday, yeah. And 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 you know that's that's the Sabbath day, right? And I said you know it's a one hour period. So the Friday in Johannesburg is slightly problematic, and as a traveler, you can miss the odd Friday prayer, even if you're traveling, but you can't miss it permanently. I don't want to do that, right? And their, their solution was, um, well, tough luck. Yeah. So if people want to know what happened, how did I get to spend the last year of my SAFM career doing a talk show at night? It was because with two weeks before we were going to launch the new shows, they were unbending, uh, which which was really really sad. And naturally, that marked the beginning of a of a of a break off in relations with the leadership of SF, and it was really sad because I I like to think I uh, I gave as much as I could to the station, not even just on air, but off air, everything I wanted to do, it. and and they left me with that. I even said, let me do four days a week instead of the five days. Or let me start half an hour late on the Friday, meaning we record half an hour, um, um, and, and then I join in half past one, like unrelenting. Wow. No, I'm yeah. so, so saddened yeah. by that. So, so that's the sad example because, in fact, what I had to do then, I had to make a choice between following the line of the Prophet, as in the Prophet Muhammad, because that was his way, or chasing after personal prophets. And I, uh, I chose the line of the Prophet. And uh, and that had an impact on my on my career because a year later I was gone from SF, uh, much to the surprise of many people. And uh, those are the sacrifices um, that we make. But but that's notwithstanding that, overall, uh, my my experience as a Muslim in predominantly non-Muslim spaces has been absolutely top-notch. And I'm and I'm very proud to be a South African of that. Yeah, because I was just my next question was. Uh, from your experience of South Africa, do you believe that in the main we are tolerant of diversity or not? And then you tell the story. Um, and I know that's just, uh, but in general, do you find us tolerant? Yeah, so I mean, my story with, with the ending of SFM was an aberration. It's not the norm, let's, let's say that. But no, I think, I think we're not just tolerant with each other. I think there's a remarkable acceptance of, of the different cultures. I mean, you may be aware as we talk now, you know, this can be dated later on. Um, we're in the midst of, a, of COVID-19 and, and now we're doing vaccine rollouts and the, and the and the Muslim Association of South Africa based in Houghton mainly have undertaken tasks to, to do the vaccine rollouts um, uh, from the Houghton Mosque to the entire community of, of predominantly non-Muslims uh, through Vodacom, through others. They've done it across the board. And that acceptance is, is, is so typical of South Africa. I mean, when I came back from the Hajj pilgrimage in 20, um, I think it was 2017, uh, within a few weeks of coming back, I had to program direct an event, an agricultural event in, uh, in Durban, right? And, and we had maybe 300 people there. And I was the only Muslim in an entire group, but I was the MC, right? And the, and the CEO of this organization, um, got up and he said, hold it, before you even start as an MC uh, for, your, for your proceedings, I know you've just come back from the Hajj. And I want to ask the entire audience to get up and applaud Al-Hajj Ashraf Ghanda, because oh, wow. in particularly in West Africa, the title is Al-Hajj, uh, when, when you perform the pilgrimage, right? So he said, can we please applaud Al-Hajj Ashraf Ghanda? I mean, so that's what he did. 
a week or two later, I was at a brand essay summit um, and the same thing, the CEO, I said, before we start, can we acknowledge Al-Hajj? Because it's just come back from the pilgrimage. I'm saying that is, that is what's, that's the South Africa that I'm, that I live in. That's the South Africa I want to be part of. And that's why we must fight vehemently against othering each other for those that, that want to pro propagate that. But ultimately at our core, we are white, we are black, we are colored, we are Asian or Indian, we are Christian, Muslim, Hindu, we follow the faith of Judaism, Rastafaris, but, but this, but let's look at the strength of our diversity. And I think when we galvanize that, it is remarkable. And those sort of incidences make me very, very proud to say, that's my country. That's the type of thing that says, because I, then I'll tell you this much to, to digress. On the last day of the Hajj pilgrimage in Naka, we were asked by, by, the, by the imams, like, so, you know, it's your last day here. Who wants to stay here longer? And most of the people said, ah, I want to stay here forever. <laughs> and, and this is four years ago. And, and the imams said, well, what about you? You didn't raise your hand. And I said, I'm in a hurry to go home. And they said, well, why in a hurry to go home? Did you not enjoy the period? And I said, in fact, the six weeks I've been here has been magnificent. It has been one of the great memories of my life. But I'm in a hurry to go home because I've been, I've been inspired by the social justice model of the Prophet Muhammad. We say peace be upon him. He's the last of the line of the prophets we believe started from Adam and Jacob and Moses and Isaac and Jesus, including as part of a Muslim prophet and then ending with Muhammad. And I said, I'm inspired by his social justice model. And because I'm inspired, I'm in a hurry to go home because I have a country to build. I'm even more strengthened in my resolve that what I've learned in Mecca and Medina, they don't need me there. South Africa needs me and I need to come back with that model and in some way or the other chisel away at, at some of the problems in our country because we do have a country to build. And that will not happen if I don't see myself having a vested interest in the country and the country having a vested interest in ensuring that people like myself of whatever faith can able to express their faith through to the 60 million people that are South Africans. And that I think is, is a magical thing in this country. Yeah. I must say I'm inspired. I, I previously had a conversation with a friend of mine, Nona Koza, and that's her plea as well, for everybody to work together and contribute. So it's inspirational. It seems to be in the air. Uh, nobody knows you without knowing your wife, Jamila. <laughs> uh, your story seems you to be an inspiration. So I didn't know that. <laughs> I, think, I didn't know that. I mean, believe me, we do. <laughs> it's an inspirational love story uh, that's still unfolding. What advice would you give me in how I decide to choose a life partner? Oh, that's, that's like huge pressure. And it's just... <laughs> In many ways, it's unfair because I'll tell you why it's unfair. Because who am I to prescribe for you? I mean, the reality is like, what is what is love? How do you how do you know that's the person you want to spend your time with? Yeah. How do you know you want to make the cold call with that person? What which are is the what nuggets I you found though? Well, I, I found uh, in in her uh, a physical presence that I found very appealing. Uh, uh, a super dresser, which she still is, right? <laughs> Uh, and, and someone who has, she has a zest for life and uh, most people don't know that, but, but I'm, the, I'm the introvert in my home. She's, she's the extrovert, she really is. Uh, uh, and, I, and I think those combinations uh, and, and obviously caring genuinely so for, for me and our family um, and for people and for humanity at large, I think is what, um, 
what appeals to me, but but also the fact that I think we can be together and be different. Mm. You know, you can't. I mean, she's not in broadcasting. Uh, she's she's done this fabulous painting behind me. If you look at that, that painting yeah, with that, with beautiful. With that uh, I mean, she's done that, right? And and the one with the lady as well behind. So you can see yeah. all of that, right? I mean, she she does this. She gets she she wants to market them. Uh, I mean, that's speciality. That's her talent. She's got. This. Well, we call her. We call her MacGyver, and, and, and most people who are, who are my age will understand what MacGyver means. She's There's a, a new version, a so even the new generation she, has. Well, there you are. She, she fixes things. She's just got this unique ability of fixing things. And I mean, that's what appeals. So I, I think, you know, to answer your question, what's right for you, I don't know. But, but you need to, we need to find the magic within, within other people and, yeah. and make the cold call, you know. Yeah. Well, that, that inspires me nonetheless. We can talk forever, hey? <laughs> but we have to bring our conversation to a close. Um, in in closing, uh, before that, uh, what's on your bucket list? Do you still have anything on your bucket list? Yeah, you know what? I, I need to revise this, this bucket list, and I haven't done it for a while. But I think I think the obvious thing is there's probably about 10 countries that I want to visit. Um, uh, in Africa, I've been to some, but the ones that I need to, I want to go to would be yeah, West African countries like Nigeria and Senegal. I'm just interested in what happened to those people from Senegal and Gobi Island that went to America, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, then some of the North African countries, probably Morocco and Egypt, I would think. Um, and maybe one South American country. I've been to, to North America, I've been to, to Europe and, and Southeast Asia. I think the, the ultimate bucket list for me, it sounds so cliche, right, is like, can I, even in my personal capacity, do something a bit more remarkable compared to what I'm doing now to, to hurriedly move South Africa on this road to becoming a champion nation? If I can find the magic um, to multiply across the length and breadth of our nation, I mean, that's the ultimate bucket list because it will mean that I would, yeah. in some way, have inspired the fulfillment of dreams um, for, for everybody, for everybody watching us and all 16 million people in our country and the generations to come as well. Well, I hope all that comes true. And I know the the champions South Africa, and you, you're really passionate about it. So that's going to happen for sure. Uh, so in closing, um, if this was your last conversation, what wisdom would you like to leave us with? I'll, I'll share, you know, two, two things. Um, one, one I think is, and I'm just, and it's a coincidence, I'm just drawing on the, on the, on the Medina example because of what happened in, in KZN uh, in July, uh, July 2021, right? Um, and, and this horrific thing that unfolded and, and different issues. And I then reflected on what happened in, in Medina. So Medina, just to tell you, is, is a city about 500 kilometers from, from Mecca, which is the, the two holy cities in Saudi Arabia, where I went for the pilgrimage, right? And the, the model of Medina is this, when the people of Mecca uh, were being persecuted, they migrated to Medina. So it's a refugees, and I think it's a very important point I want to make. So when these refugees got to Medina, they were welcomed, and then the, the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, was from Mecca, who goes to Medina, they invite him to say, we bring you here, but we want you to have the leadership of the city, right? Because they wanted, they, they saw an inequality at the end. And one of the first things he did was, he understood that the people of Mecca had nothing, they left everything behind to get to Medina, and the people of Medina had wealth. And he advised the people of Medina to share in their wealth. And he said, if you can, share in your homes, share in your monetary wealth, share in your experiences, 
and I won't say all, but many of the people did that. And that example of sharing in the wealth set set up the building of the what I call the, the city state of Medina from whence Islam truly grew to all corners of the world. Okay, so why am I bringing that up? That that Medina model, because in South Africa, what what whatever sparked off KZN, whether it's a political spark off, what also played through is this increased this this incredible gap between rich and poor. So how then do we, how are we ever going to narrow this gap between those that have and those that have not, right? And the Medina example is the closest to someone advising people to say, come on, don't just talk about it. So I'm not going to suggest that you and I and, and 60 million people just give up their wealth. People just don't do that in these times. I don't think so. But if we can't do that, can these, can we at least share in our expertise? So what I'm going to suggest is can we, can, 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 do, can you adopt a person or adopt a family and say, okay, how can I change this family who's got nothing and, and attempt to change their lives completely? Mainly through education, not through handouts, through education, through skills training. And if we all can start doing that, then this is outside of government, you notice, right? We'd be setting the closest example to the Medina example of, of sharing and changing society and removing this disparity between rich and poor. So, so that's my my piece of advice. Think of the Medina example and see how we can we can adapt it because we must adapt and implement in this country because we need to find a way to narrow that gap. The second yeah. one is the quote, which is the mantra of champion South Africa, right? Which is, you know, the primary goal of, of a champion has got to be to build other champions, right? If you're a champion, you're going to be measured by how many other champions you can, you can reproduce, right? So, so here's the thing. Think about this. Champion people build champion people. Champion people build champion people. And then champion people build champion nations. So my message to, to you watching is like, if you have a vision and a dream to live in a truly prosperous, magical, fantastic country, then think about your role. And are you one of those champion people? If not, how do you become one of those champion people? And if you are one of them, right, then how do you become one of the champion people that is hooked on to building a champion nation? I'm, I'm happy. I'm living in that space already. So I hope more and more of us do that. And we don't have to have PR companies printing out what we are doing. Do this in your own private space. Help other homes. Help other individuals around you. And uh, I think we will achieve exactly what you, you're talking about. I think too much of the social work has been helping after the event. You know, like they have a problem, there's a, yeah. there's a flood, we, we do leave. So what we have to do is what you, I think you're doing already, right, is we have to make the interventions in advance. Yes. Where change, so they can help themselves. If we can upskill, they will create their own wealth. Precisely. And, yeah, I totally. I think if you come with an attitude of not patronizing and not looking down at people, you will make sure that you give the help that accords them dignity in the first place. Thank you so much, yeah. Ashraf. I really appreciate it. We can talk forever, but I really appreciate you giving of your time. There we are, folks. I always enjoy interacting with Ashraf. Hope you have too. Thank you for listening to this episode of Wisdom Personified, Conversations with Durumsomi. 
Please also like, follow and subscribe to our channel and share the wisdom with your friends. I would love it if you could rate and review as well. Wisdom Personified, Conversations with Dudum Somi is also available on YouTube, Facebook Watch, Apple and Google Podcasts, as well as Spotify. Enjoy the wisdom journey.